Starfighters, this is Ruined Childhoods, and we are ankle deep in our cinematic road trip across these United States. Last week, we popped over to Colorado to gab about things to do in Denver when you're dead, and today we're over in the Constitution State. If you're talking about the European mantis, you're talking about the state insect. If you're talking about dinosaur tracks, you're talking about the state fossil. Meryl Streep lives here. Paul Giamatti, from here. Don Pardo, Rivers Cuomo, this is where he portrayed Johnny Casino in his high school production of Grease. Not Don Pardo, Rivers Cuomo. That's right, we're in Connecticut. Dan, I know you've been to Connecticut. That's where I spent my first year of college, and you visited me. Confirm it or deny it? Confirmed. All right. Do you have any fond yes. memories from your time spent in Connecticut? My time spent in Connecticut. Well, I, the only time I visited you was I was just, as they say in Transylvania 6, 5,000, I was just pissing through. So, because <laughs> right. I I picked you up and we went to Boston. So right. that's true. So that's kind of, Connecticut is, is pretty much the pass-through state to, if you are, if you're making that It's trip, a pretty big state to just pass through, but sure, yeah. Yeah, no, well, I mean, if you're going vertically, I guess, if you're going horizontally, yeah. because it's a, it's a more rectangular state and a more horizontally rectangular state. And uh, I, my memories of Connecticut are mostly driving through Connecticut to get mm-hmm. to either to or from Boston whether that was traveling from New Brunswick, New Jersey during my college days or uh, New York or Uh yeah. So, and I always refer to Connecticut as McState because of the predominance of McDonald's along the interstate. Really? Just the highways that I took. And I'm sure it was a combination of like I-5 and some other highway. I just remember there were so many McDonald's and yes, really? there are, there are, yes, McDonald's are common at rest stops and off. Like that's what you see on those signs that say, like, I guess you if you're know, just next, next using exit it for road trips, yeah, food coming up. But I mean, if you're just traveling the highway, even if you're just going a couple of exits, you're likely to pass a, three mcdonald's along the way or signs or ads for mcdonald's there would be the present it's omnipresent mcdonald's is very present there and i in your memory that sticks out okay so there's that yes well that and of course if you are a uh 
a listener, if you've if you've been with us for a while, then you will probably know that I also think very much of WWE and passing right. passing by Titan Towers there in Stamford, Connecticut, and seeing the big WWE logo over, which the uh, the building has since sold they've moved to different offices but that was the the long-standing headquarters of wwe titan towers in stanford connecticut so i is i have those associations and also at some point and i forget where we were but when i was in college a play that i was in i did a lot of plays with a playwright whose name is Ken Urban and he is a he has since have you know had his he is a professional playwright that's his jam that's his gig okay and Ken uh got one of his plays he was a graduate student at the time at Rutgers and I I guess I was par- I was part of his room of his cast of characters probably because I was the only 21 year old who could re- believably play a 45 year old <laughs> and so often and he had characters that were these not likable kind of older straight white men and those are the parts that I would play and we one of his plays got chosen for a, like a, a festival of staged readings uh, at one of the campuses in I want to say Hartford but I I don't okay. think I'm right so I remember I just I remember that I remember nothing about the surroundings. There's nothing. It it could have been Connecticut. It could have been Milwaukee. It could have been anywhere. Got it. No offense. No offense to wherever I was. But I don't we came up to town. We did the reading and then we uh, went back to the hotel and all got really drunk and that's pretty much it. Okay. that's what i remember so john those i'm sure you have m- many more memories of connecticut having lived in the state for a time sure well i spent my first year of college there at the university of hartford in west hartford connecticut and it was it, w- it wasn't what i needed at the time so i transferred to school in philadelphia but I also spent most of my, not most of my, because that would have gotten very expensive, but I spent a lot of weekends actually going up to Boston because it's a short bus ride away, and I just knew so many people who were going to school there, and it was a more active city, and in Hartford proper, there just wasn't much going on. I only remember going into actual Hartford just a couple of times, and uh, I... One time was to go see the throwback group Manhattan Transfer. Oh. For applause. And the other time was to go to uh, Connecticut Pride. They had a little Pride Festival in a park. And the MC was Anthony Rapp. And this would have been 2001. Fresh off. Pretty fresh off rent. Yeah. Right there in yeah. the rent afterglow for Anthony. I mean, rent was still huge, but Anthony Rapp, I'm sure, was no longer with the company. That would have been five years after its opening. But OK, yeah. so. All right. Manhattan so transfer. Manhattan and, transfer. And Anthony Rapp. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. And uh, I I don't have anything bad to say about Connecticut. It's a lovely state. Uh, this is our first time venturing on this podcast into New England during our little road trip. What's up? 
other Connecticut memories. And now it's really vague because I have no oh. idea where they lived. But this goes back. So family, again, if you uh, have listened to us before, you are probably aware John and I are brothers. And as uh, our, as children and currently, we have uh, family friends who at, for a time lived in Connecticut. I have no recollection of where. I remember they had like a really cool, like kind of big old house. Uh, I, yeah, I don't want to give, uh, I, I don't want to mention names, but okay. yes, uh, big family. Well, now, now a really big family. Uh, they live practically on a compound, uh, out in New Jersey, sure. I know but you, at the time, yes, up in Connecticut. And I remember, I remember like going up to visiting them. I, I'm going up to visit them. And I remember my, I have movie connections because I remember on one of our trips up to Connecticut to visit them, that was when we saw Mannequin. Oh, wonderful. We've got to talk about that on this podcast. We went to see Mannequin. And also, I remember what we were, the the, the eldest, like, uh, sibling of that family who was sure. maybe five years older than than me, at least five years older uh, than I was. And I I think I re- I remember there being some dispute over whether or not we should or could be watching Nightmare on Elm Street three on on HBO. Oh, interesting. Which one is three? The Dream Warriors. That's I like, was gonna. Yeah, I was gonna guess Dream Warriors. Yeah. That like the best of those sequels. If you if you're not including New Nightmare in there, uh-huh. the best of the Nightmare on Elm Street part is is well, I would I would argue perf- as perfect with many. time, perfect time to be bringing that up. Seeing as how we are on the cusp of Halloween, we are in the spooky oh, season. Indeed, and, and we are, John. We are also. I don't know if you were planning on bringing this up. If I'm blowing your spot here. But we are also on the cusp of the 35th anniversary of the movie we're going to talk about today, Mystic Pizza. That's right. But but before we talk about Mystic Pizza, I do have one more thing that I wanted to bring up about our last episode, uh, which was our Colorado episode. We did uh, things to do in Denver when you're dead. And I believe that when we were discussing, you know, what is a good film to discuss and and on the podcast we talked about like well like what other like really colorado movies are there and we even mentioned something about something that's set in the mountains and then i remembered there is a movie that famously takes place uh i'd say mostly or more significantly in aspen and the beginning of it is set in uh I'd say, is it Providence, Rhode Island? But I'm talking about Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> You're not talking about Aspen Extreme? No, I'm not talking about Aspen Extreme, but no. I, yeah, Dumb and Dumber, D- the whole point is to get to Aspen. There's uh, so many amazing scenes that just stick in your memory that take place in Aspen. And so this is know, that's true. Where, uh, Jeff Daniels got diarrhea, so... There yes. We well, they arrive and the snot icicles. Yes, but I would snot icicles. He gets his tongue stuck on the pole. Right. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, they arrive with the snot icicles because yes. they're on that little tiny motorbike. Right. Yes. Yes. So okay. Yes. Dumb and Dumber. But I would still. I feel like we made the right call 
even though I it, have no, I have no problems movie. with what we did. <laughs> I have no problems with what we did. I'm just acknowledging oh, that yes. Dumb and Dumber would have also felt very appropriate. Absolutely, yes, absolutely. Yeah. But yes, we're, uh, you know, talking about Mystic Pizza uh, from 1988. What a truly fantastic movie and i'm so glad that we have an opportunity to talk about it at least i think it's fantastic dan i don't know what mystic your opinion is on mystic indeed mist you know john oh I, are you hector Frechette? yeah abs call me the fireside, the fireside gourmet. gourmet yes i i watched this movie for the first time i probably since i first saw it which would have been i think taped off HBO or okay. if not just watched on HBO, but probably taped off of HBO at some point in the late eighties or early nineties. And I just mm -hmm. was like, nah, I didn't like the storyline between cat and the, okay. the architect, which I yeah, know you're we'll going do a, to, and we'll do a synopsis, we will do a synopsis but the, the questionable romantic relationship in the film, uh, I, I okay. remember not enjoying that. And I also remember really not picking up on a lot of the other subtleties and nuances. And I was so glad yeah. watching it this time, it really was like, like watching it for the first time, except that I remembered so much of it. It's really interesting right. how you could not see a movie for 30 years and all of a sudden as you're watching it, you're just like, oh, right. And then this is going to happen. And it's yeah. so clear. I just love when when that happens. It happens so often rewatching movies for this this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. I watched this movie a few years ago. And uh, there was a lot more that I picked up on watching it this time around. When, and I watched it twice this time around. And uh, there were a lot of things that I think that if you're watching it really casually, don't stick out as much as they do if you're paying closer attention. And uh, because the cast is so incredible and uh, it's, you know, really centered around the the youth the 1988 you know <laughs> i you know just out of high school a few years out of high school uh time in their lives and the the adults with the exception of lorania are really like bottom tier characters it's really cool to kind of watch this all take shape and especially with actors that we have seen really blossom into some of the biggest stars uh it was was really fantastic you know julia roberts of course being the most notable uh lily right. taylor definitely took her own path and i think that with like the conjuring movies has kind of developed a, an entirely different fan base but watching her in this movie and then of course seeing her in say anything and uh, I shot kind of Andy like Warhol. Cousin characters. I shot Andy Warhol was a big one for her. We've talked about her before. Uh, the, the haunting, haunting was what? Yeah, yeah, was the one that we talked about with her. Yeah, and Annabeth Gish, who we've talked about before with Hiding Out, right? So big shout out Annabeth Gish. This is um, post Hiding who Out. I think is fantastic. This is post Hiding Out, and uh, not to uh, get ahead of ourselves, but Hiding Out, which could have been our Delaware movie had we not already done it with Keith Coogan himself. 
But ah, <laughs> uh, true that. What a great experience that was. <laughs> that was a lot of fun. But why don't I do a little synopsis and yeah. then we can d- uh, dive a little deeper. Two sisters and their best friend who work at a popular pizza joint navigate a wave of romantic tribulations during one autumn in their small seaside Connecticut town. Kat has a partial scholarship to Yale University, but is working three jobs to raise money for the rest. Aside from working at Mystic Pizza, named for the town of Mystic, Connecticut, Kat works at the local planetarium and also babysits for a young girl whose handsome father, Tim, is flying solo while his wife is working overseas. Kat's big sister, Daisy, meets a guy named Charles, who was recently kicked out of college, but is too ashamed to tell his wealthy parents. Sorry for my dogs barking. And Joe is struggling with the decision to marry her great boyfriend, Bill. Either she settles down and starts a family before she's ready, or she risks losing the man that she loves. So that's kind of the movie in a nutshell. It's really just this very specific few weeks I would say in the in the lives of these people, maybe even a couple of months. I think it's a. I, I think it's, it's kind of because it goes up to right before Thanksgiving. Sure, yeah, but it takes place yeah. like after summer has kind of passed. Yeah, we we don't get any Fourth of July scenes, so yeah, is no, it, no. But it's still during the. It starts. It's like that was a crazy Labor Day. Yeah. <laughs> Well, there we go. There's the prequel. We want to know what happened that summer. Yeah. No. Uh, yeah. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Nothing. Business as usual. Jojo is about to get married. Yeah. They were planning the wedding. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. That's basically it. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Jojo is played by uh, Lily Taylor. Kat is played by Annabeth Gish. And Daisy is played by uh, Julia Roberts. I wonder if that's why my dog barked because her name is Daisy. And maybe she heard me say Daisy and was just like, what? Oh, that's, that's it. It's like when you, when it's like when I say something that sounds like the name of a certain digital assistant who I shall not name for the moment. Oh, uh, in in this case, when we are doing our recording, it begins with an S. Got it. Yes. Because there are two possible uh, responders in the room. So yes, I'm trying to choose my wording carefully. Yeah. So, and, uh, yes, you know. Oh, go ahead. You said, and yes, and then you raised your hand. <laughs> so I'm waiting. I, I did. Oh, no, I was just looking at my, I was thinking about the, the credits and thinking about, I wrote this, I wrote down because I loved seeing uh, this Phil and, uh, Vincent Philip D'Onofrio. Uh, just, Vincent it's Philip so, D'Onofrio, yeah, right, as he was so, credited. It's so great to see where these actors, where this movie comes in these actors careers because they are coming because this movie is coming either. And, and I don't, I didn't look into like when it was filmed, it's an independent film. So it could have been filmed for all we know in 1986, but Mm -hmm. when it's being released October, 1988. So it's one year after full metal jacket. Which is yes. pretty. Which is correct me if I'm wrong. Vincent D'Onofrio's. I don't know if that was his debut, but it was certainly his breakout role, standout breakout role. Yeah, yeah. You've got Lily Taylor, who again, this is a year after Say Anything, a year and yep. a half, if you want to get technical about I'd it. I'd say anything? playing characters that could be cousins for one another. Well, yes, yes, and there's a, there are quite a few. Li- there's a like subgenre of Lily Taylor roles 
that fit there. But I think that's why I love I, I shot Andy Warhol so much because it really gave Lily Taylor that opportunity yeah. to, to stretch. There's so many other movies that she's done that I either can't think of at the moment or haven't seen. Dogfight is one mm-hmm. that I've been thinking about recently because there's an acclaimed musical based on it. And it's such a oh. small film to base a musical on. Then again, so is Mystic Pizza, but we'll come back to that later. Uh, and and by the way, Dan, uh, Say Anything comes after Mystic Pizza. I think you said- Oh, right. Mystic yes. Pizza. No, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yes. That's 89. Uh, later. Yes. Yeah. I don't know why I always think we, we see her and she's having a baby in 88. Uh, but then after yes. that, it's Say Anything, Born on the Fourth of July. As you said, Dogfight. Um we see her in shortcuts. She has a a small role in Rudy. Uh, she's in four rooms. A lot of stuff even yeah. before I shot Andy Warhol. Well, a lot of indie. She became really. Yeah. She's one of those actresses really ingrained with that mid nineties indies indie boom that we talked yeah. about on our things to do in Denver when you're dead episode. Right. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. But yeah. And but, uh, oh yeah. Yeah, I th- I feel like that's just kind of part of her DNA. Even when she does bigger, you know, studio movies, there's still like something about her that that still feels like it doesn't quite fit into that category until kind of The Conjuring, I'd say. Yes, no, uh, for reference point, see The Haunting or don't actually yeah. just take our word for it. But yes, so you've got uh and then you you've got Annabeth Gish, right. This is oh right, I'm confusing Hiding Out which was 1987. Right. I, almost exactly a year earlier if I remember correctly, it was like huh. October 1987 w- was when Hiding Out was released. So, and I yeah. I love uh, there's just there's a there's the quality that Annabeth Gish uh brings to her roles that I just really love from here into her her performance on the West Wing, where she plays one of uh, the president's daughters, uh, one of one of his daughter oh. who who really I think uh, is the one who really like kind of but I think but butts heads with him the most. Okay, so yes, worth worth checking. I can out. never but, get into the West Wing. I know that you and I differ there. Oh, well, you know, like I, I I've said, especially since 2016, it's my favorite fantasy show of all time. So, yeah. totally. Uh, so anyway, that's what we have there. We've got uh, so and then Julia Roberts is this is coming right before Steel Magnolias and Pretty Woman. And yeah. Yeah. So at this point, it's it's Eric Roberts sister. Right. That's pretty much it. She's done a couple little things, but then like this is, you know, the movie that kind of puts her on the map. Um, but I and I'm and I'm glad for it because look at what we've gotten because of uh her appearance in this movie, which and I, also she she adds so much. She adds so much to this. She really does. And I I, I want to say she was also in the movie Satisfaction at the like the same time it was released very close together i'm gonna check myself on that let's see february 12th 88 and then oh. this one came out october uh, october so okay a little bit before so but she was in firehouse before that in 87 oh firehouse direct to video release great you know yeah. and i'm really impressed especially at this point in her career how little of that georgia accent you hear <laughs> 
Uh-huh. Because at the beginning, yeah. I was really like on the lookout and I was like, oh boy. <laughs> but <laughs> no, I was sold and I definitely was watching it and was like, yes, anybody who saw this at the time saw that and was like, yep, she's going to be huge. Yeah. And, you know, when you see the like artwork that's on like streaming services or any of the probably DVD cases, she is the biggest picture of all. And it's like, she has probably equal screen time to the other two leads. So, ahem, it's make a, room for Annabeth Gish and Lily Taylor. Yeah, well, on the theatrical release poster that I'm looking at here on Wikipedia, they're kind of, it, it, she looks like, it looks like she and Annabeth Gish are not only sisters, but conjoined twins. <laughs> and then on top, there's Lily Taylor, who just gets a profile to the, to the front, like Vincent D'Onofrio, you see more of his face on there. Vincent Philip D'Onofrio. Vincent Philip D'Onofrio, yeah, yeah. VPDO, absolutely. Yeah. I lo- let's talk about the other guys here for a second. Be- sure. What, what do you, John? What do you think of? Let's start with with Tim, who's played by yeah. So William R. Moses, right. And uh, okay, so you're, and this is one of his first films too. He was in uh, Alien from LA the same year. And then uh, we, we kind of see him go on um, to, I think that he's, he was more prolific in television than he was in film. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm looking at this. Oh, did he do a murder she wrote? Yes, he did. He, of course he did. Of course he did. <laughs> I don't even need to look. Yeah, but uh, he yeah he did a lot of television roles. Oh, he um, did them all. He Love did Boat, a lot Fantasy of, Island, a lot of television Falcon films. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and are okay. I think that as a his portrayal of a you know young thirty something architect who's a father that's perhaps going through some marital troubles. Um, he plays him well. The character, though, is unsavory and is a snake and uh, plays that whole, you know, oh, I'm this just this really nice, friendly guy and, uh, you know, kind of just traps her in and brings her in and is like, oh, it's cold. Take my sweater and like puts oh, it on her. Yeah. And, oh, that and scene. plays Ooh. with this girl's emotions and uh, we're supposed to feel bad for him when his wife comes back. I'm sorry. I'm. I don't feel bad for him. Are we supposed I, to feel bad for him? I think that his portrayal makes it seem like he. I. I don't know. It's almost like the character forgets who he is. And maybe it's like he started his adult life too early and is trying to still glom on to a little bit of youth you know he has oh, yeah. a a successful architecture career he has this wife who's very successful he has a four-year-old daughter uh so he probably would have been like in his mid to late 20s when he became a father yeah and uh, perhaps that is meant to kind of uh, connect to Lily Taylor's experience where she is afraid of starting a family and starting her adult life too early. 
And I don't know if it's just like my mind kind of making the connections that weren't meant to be there. But when I see it, I'm just like, oh, this is somebody who, you know, sees this person who brings this part of his personality out of him. And yes, you know, she's probably 18 or 19. We don't get their exact ages, I don't think. And uh, I mean, you think she's going into college. She's going into college, but we don't know how long she's been out of high school. Well, yeah, I don't. Right. I think it was. We long know that she's starting. S- we know that she's starting at Yale in the in the winter term. I right. Think she says, says like in February. Well, she says it after Thanksgiving, which is like that's weird. She says that she's starting in February. Oh, she does. She specifically says February. Yeah. I didn't. I know. I, I remember the, the conversation at the end when she's like, oh, it's going to be Thanksgiving. February is after yeah. Thanksgiving. It's that's just, a, it's just yeah. a little ways away. It's really not that far. It's negligible. It's fine. So, mm-hmm. right. She's going to be starting college. And yes, maybe she's taken more than just a gap semester well we don't know how long she's been just trying to like save money uh according to her mom she has four jobs but we only see three so i don't know maybe she is coming off of another job that's ending i i don't know or there's just material that got cut and that line just doesn't make sense but which is probably more likely there was going to be a whole trilogy and they were just going to cover the other two jobs like mystic, well, we have three jobs. Mystic Auto Planetarium. Yeah. We oh, have, right. The, the Planetarium. Yeah. The Planetarium, and we have the babysitting job. So that's ah, three. Okay. All right. Yes. So what's the fourth job? That maybe we'll get to that later. Watching after maybe. Daisy. <laughs> Looking after Daisy because she's oh. just always up to no good. Don't you don't have to say the name. Oh, let's see. No, the dogs are elsewhere right now, so we're we're okay. So okay. That that's kind of my view of Tim. What were your thoughts? Well, first of all, I can't watch it without the the idea. I watch him and I'm like, who is he? Who is this actor? And I'm like, it is like seven tenths William Atherton, three tenths Eric Stoltz, just to temper down the dickishness of William Atherton. There's just mm-hmm. there's that enough Eric Stoltz in there. It's like, you know, just putting some splash of cream in your coffee just to tone it down. And so I watch him and that's what I think. And I pretty much agree with you. I think he he lets it and I can't be too frustrated with it because it's like I'm sure that I'm sure this guy is real. I'm sure this guy is real, just as the Charles Gordon Windsor Jr. As (laughs) cliche as that sounds, I'm sure like that. Oh, yeah. That guy is out there, too. And we'll talk about him because I. Yeah, we'll get to him next. Like a lot of things about that character. So I think that Tim Travers is. I don't know that we're supposed to that we're supposed to like him. I don't know that we're supposed to, to root for this relationship. I think that's because even when I was a a kid, I got that, like, I don't like this. I don't want this to happen. Even though like he's married and maybe he and his wife are getting a divorce and maybe like she doesn't love him. Maybe she's, I don't know, kind of a bitch. It doesn't matter. He's married and like, right there. 
and and he's stringing this girl along he's not and there's no and i would have been all for it like there was there was a moment where i i couldn't remember how cat responded to it all and i just thought to myself man if cat were just to respond to this whole thing like hey you know what i got a little you know it wasn't just me watching daisy going out and having the, some of the uh, having all the fun i got she some was very vulnerable like i got i oh i know absolutely she was very vulnerable but i would have been all right with it if she was just like all right i got what i i got what i wanted out of that but it wasn't and she really and and he knew that too and he knew it wasn't yeah. just all right or, or or he didn't care or he didn't even care enough to acknowledge it. Well, when he meets her, she brings this sense of whimsy and wonder and uh, the, uh, uh, I guess the feeling of like, this is somebody who's on the cusp of like becoming who they are. And uh, there's elements of that already there, but they're about to go to Yale and they're, their life is about to change completely. And, for somebody in Tim's position, that could just be this like enchanting uh, experience to like be part of that and to experience that once again. And I'm not saying that what happened was right, but I am saying that like if those elements were intentional, it was effective. Oh, absolutely. It's but that's why I'm saying I don't know if we're necessarily supposed to to root for it, but I do think that we can understand why it happens on on both sides yeah even though yes he's the adult or at least the more tenured adult and yeah. should be making decisions as such let's face it he's also her not, employer he's also her employer that too okay so osha violations there unsafe workplace but yeah it's but yeah i agree i no i, I agree with you i think that it's it's believable it's it's absolutely yeah. believable i i have no better way to put it than that it is believable yeah. so let's talk about adam stork who plays charles uh for, for a few minutes so you're saying that you really like that character and you see a lot of elements that like could be so like so real do you well, want to go into that a little bit more uh all right i maybe not as real but i mean i sure i suppose so especially when you're talking about new england and you're talking about these this town and you've got the sense of like townies against tourists mm -hmm. and i thought that charles i what i liked about the character what i liked about the way that the character was written was that he kind of he zigged when you were expecting him to zag and okay. he wasn't going to give some examples. Well, yeah, uh, let's talk about let's talk about the end. And he makes this and this is another another zig where you're expecting a zag here in, in the film. So Charles takes Daisy to dinner at his yeah. family's house where we meet a sure. Yes. Did you want to? Oh, no, I just want to give there. there's a little bit of backstory that I want to give before we go into that scene because I I want to make sure that it's uh mentioned explicitly before we get into it and that is the fact that they 
that Daisy and Kat are, and I think Jojo, are all uh, first-generation Portuguese-American. Uh, they're, you know, their parents came to the United States from Portugal, and uh, being of Portuguese descent is a significant part of who they are that we are reminded of by like Daisy and Kat's mom. Uh, that's an aspect that even on my more recent watches, I wasn't picking up on fully until I uh -huh. watched it again. And I did a little bit of like research to kind of see like how true, like how accurate really is this? And I did find that like, that corner of Connecticut has a very big uh, Portuguese population. In the 1750s, that's when Portuguese immigrants started coming. And because Portugal is such a fishing, you know, it's a coastal fishing mm -hmm. community yeah. or country, <laughs> uh, you know, th those people, they, they came and found this pocket of New England that had that same type of lifestyle. And by the 1850s, there were like these... Uh, like two families that really like kicked things off uh, in uh, actually it was in Stonington Borough, which is like four or five miles away from Mystic where a lot of the movie was actually filmed. And uh, it was, um, I get, I think like 1907, there was one family, the Rodericks that like really became this huge fishing dynasty. And so uh, by like 1950, half of that area's fishermen, Fisher people were Portuguese. And so it's safe to say that, like, you know, Mystic, uh, you know, really had a strong representation. And for there to be, you know, as we know in New England, there there also is a very large white population. And uh, New England has, I think, a um a reputation that's perhaps more of a stereotype, but it comes from somewhere to, you know, that it's kind of a haven. New Haven, hmm. mm -hmm. but a haven for, you know, like uh, socialites to kind of have maybe their summer homes, things like that. So anyway, I, I just wanted to kind of go into that a little bit before we kind of get into that dinner scene, because that dinner scene is huge. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Uh, so, right. We have kind of the two parts of that population here represented, and we've got and Daisy is, I felt like this Julia Roberts was like this, this is your rehearsal for pretty woman where she's, <laughs> yeah. she's all, she's all dressed up. Fish out of water. Yeah. And, yeah, exactly. And, but she, and yes, there, like, there's some not so subtle discrimination and I would say more classism than racism going on at the table and that point is well, is well yes racism but i would say it is i would say it is more like social class motivated there when i first watched it i saw it as a class thing the the more i learned about and more i noticed about how core being from portugal is to daisy and cat's family the more it resonated as a racial thing, especially because the the inciting incident is because Daisy's friend Teresa, who is oh, also of Portuguese descent, is right. there working. She's serving and picking up the dishes and all that kind of stuff. And the there is explicit racism when Teresa 
you know, spill some sour cream on somebody's arm and uh, they're just like, oh, the Portuguese are so hard to train. Oh, right. Which is yes. like, which yes. is like classism plus racism smushing together. Well, yes, yes. I forgot if that was a line that like the aunt said or if that was like something that that he said, because Charles is is looking for a fight throughout this. Oh, 100 percent. Well, that's when he responds and saying, like, you can't even train your husband to sleep in the same bedroom as you or whatever it is. And it's kind of just like, okay, gloves are off. And it's well, super uncomfortable for Daisy. <laughs> from the moment they start where he's just grumpy and says, I'm going to get a beer. You want one? It's such a point about drinking yeah. beer. Sure. Yeah. And Matt Damon just doesn't want to eat the green stuff. Matt Damon, who is Charles's brother, younger brother, <laughs> uh, as he's and he's great and he fits in so perfectly and oh he he's in yeah. there he does what he's supposed to do was that his first on-screen performance i want to say that uh that it was you know you know what the next question is did matt damon do a murder she wrote matt he damon did... to my knowledge has not done a murder she wrote I could see a young Matt Damon. I will say I'm already I'm into 1988. So uh, in the world of uh, Cabot Cove in this in the time that I'm watching it, the movie Mystic Pizza is about to come out. OK, that's all I'm saying. Nice. <laughs> but yeah, I, you know, Matt Damon, it's uh, this movie, I think, because. He, uh, yeah, Damon began his film debut, film Mystic Pizza. Yeah. So uh, I think that because he is has his first role in this, it kind of adds on to the, you know, the the fame of this movie, which is already like, oh, it's the start of Julia Roberts' career. Yeah. And Matt Damon is there. Like, how did this happen? Uh, and of course, they would reunite in Ocean's 12. Correct. Yes. Or I guess, wait, is she in Ocean's Eleven? Or, she is in Eleven. Yes, she is in Ocean's Eleven. Yeah. Yes. So they reunited yeah. in Ocean's Eleven. They have probably reunited other times, but famously in the Ocean's films. Yes. So With Andy Garcia from Things to Do in Denver When You're Dead. Wow. So, all right. So so Charles Such a and small world. I So oh so I want to get back to so I love so yeah. after the dinner when Daisy tells him off a great Julia yeah. Roberts showcase there. When I love the way she Daisy... says Portuguese. What's that? I love the way that she says Portuguese. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, when she, and she, she says, you're not good enough for me. And, and, and leaves. Yeah. I thought that like was a hell. Yeah. Moment. It's a great moment. It, it, it really is a great moment, but, I think it's also it's a nice moment that he comes back at the end. Spoiler mm -hmm. alert. He shows up at at Mystic Pizza on the day of of Jojo's wedding. Another spoiler alert. So so it's and there's and even she recognizes it's ambiguous. She doesn't know what could happen when she has that last little scene with with Kat. And she and right, he's like, oh yeah, I saw he he's back, and yeah, you, she says maybe you know who who knows what will come of it, but yeah. I I really like that uh, she just brings a lot to that. To, she brings a lot to yeah. the character, but I don't want to sell short the the writing and just yeah. the way that 
that these characters are are written because had it been written by oh yeah go ahead yeah no well i i want to talk a little bit more about the rujo family because I know that we're going to get to Jojo and Bill pretty soon. So the Arujo family, so Kat and Daisy and their mom, there is a a large component of all of their motivations that have to do with, you know, talking about class uh, and where they fit into society. And for Daisy, she in a Charlie you know, I'm sure that she also likes him for who he is, but she also sees perhaps a ticket out. And I think that and she's also being accused of like, you're only with him so that because he's rich and he can like get you out of this life and you're pretty. And so that can happen for you. And uh, for Kat, it doesn't, you know, going to Yale doesn't necessarily mean like it's a ticket out, but it is certainly a step in the right direction in changing your the trajectory of your life where you know, your, your parents do, or I think your mom, I don't think that their dad, did their dad pass away? I can't remember the story. Uh, wasn't the he, didn't, wasn't he there in, I don't in remember the, him being in very, the background of scenes. I don't know, but their mom no. is definitely more, more there. And, you know, she works out on the pier, you know, cleaning shellfish and things like that. And for them, it's like, these are opportunities to, kind of take what their parents have done, which is move to the United States and then kind of pick up from there. And because Kat has, you know, intellect and the ability to get a higher education, that's her path. Daisy, she has her looks. And even though we do see a lot of Charlie that makes a lot of sense for her, granted, there's definitely another side of it where it's like she understands that there's a different path but i think that when she comes to learn that he's like the black sheep of the family you know he's gotten kicked out of college he's starting fights with his family at fancy dinner at fancy dinner tables like even after all of that it's like he may not be the ticket out but there's still something about him that is enticing enough to like keep her going and one other thing that I want to point out is that this one point, at one point when uh, some of them come home, their mom is asleep on the couch. And did you pick up on, do you remember this scene? Yes. Uh, live did you styles, pick up on what they were watching? Lifestyles of the rich and famous. Right. But Dan, Mar- do you, what? Go on. At Say Mar-a-Lago. It. Yes. And did you hear the very prophetic line in this Lifestyles of the Rich rich and Famous, all about Mar-a-Lago. Think of how many classified documents you could store inside (laughs) that bathroom. Dan, they're talking in this very short clip that they're showing in the movie Mystic Pizza from the Mar-a-Lago episode uh, of Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. They're talking about how the dining table seats 45. And I was like, whoa. Oh, holy Somebody shit. called Nostradamus because there a prediction has been set forth. I missed for better that. or worse. And to, the, to the best of well, my knowledge. Why would you why would you pick up on it? I think I was just like, they said Mar-a-Lago, right? And then it was like the dining table seats 45. Well, why would I pick up on it? Because I picked up on the Mar-a-Lago bit and Well, sure, yeah. Like I'm a nut. Yeah. 
I would fascinating. Know. Yes. Oh, well, it's but, kind of you know, like, but the point remi- is she falls asleep watching Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. Like, yeah, it is all about like a glimpse into like a window to the world that is, you know, aspirational, you know, where maybe even though she says like we are happy with our lot in life, there is something about people that live that lifestyle that is fascinating to Mrs. Arujo. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Well, and I mean that, that that show was huge back in the eighties, and if you think about just sure. the culture of the eighties, where there was the quote unquote uh, idea of trickle down economics, and yeah. basically that just kept the wealth in the you know top uh, you know whatever the one percent, yeah. so to speak, and except that everybody one percent of the top one percent, right, and they. <laughs> And they, oh, no, 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 definitely. I, uh, that was a good, no, we all caught that. That was an excellent party. And we, like, everybody just kind of looked at, that was the thing, is to look at these people who had this obscene wealth and what they would do with it and say, yeah. oh, wow, gee, if I keep working hard, I'll, I'll get that. Yeah, but in the world of this movie, and what I mean, not just, like, in Mystic, Connecticut but like the the movie itself it's like nothing is unintentional you know to show no. that on TV at that time is like so uh, uh you know it sends it sends it sends a very clear message well that's her she's asleep that's her dream she's <laughs> yeah you, you know you're gonna fall asleep watching that of course like you know maybe you, you're gonna dream that that you know your dining room table seats 45 people people 45 people yeah. 45 very nice people. I don't know who owned Mar-a-Lago then, but I'm pretty sure it was uh, I looked it up and Donald Trump bought it in 1985. So assuming oh. that that episode was current from the time of that filming, then it oh. is very possible because uh, and I, I watched a little bit of a special from when Donald Trump bought Mar-a-Lago. And I say all of this in quotes and with all caveats present but i uh, you know he's talking about like oh this room i will never change anything never not a thing and, and you know talking about the extravagance of the person who owned it and built it and everything and and it's just like oh god this guy he was the worst all along and uh well, we're not going to talk about that yeah so back, but yes, I definitely, I caught the Mar-a-Lago mention. I did not catch the weird 40, 45 thing. So that's added to the list with the big Lebowski nine eleven reference. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Sure. There we go. Yeah. So uh, why don't we talk a little bit about Jojo and Bill? Oh, Jojo and Bill. What a so, couple. yeah. So. Lily Taylor, Vincent D'Onofrio, uh, such great moments between the two of them. Uh, you know, Bill is another, you know, uh, first generation Portuguese American. And, uh, you know, he's got his own little fishing operation going on that I think was like his father's and, you know, he's doing that. And, um, yeah, they, they, their story is a little bit more cut and dry, because it is a above the board relationship that doesn't have any questionable aspects to it. And uh or like no one's questioning anybody's motives. Like they have 
in, you know, theoretically been together for quite a long time before we catch up with them. We begin the movie on their wedding day when she passes out and bails on the on the wedding. She's just not ready. She doesn't want to be a mother and a housewife and she, you know, wants to just like live her life a little bit. So gotta love her. Yeah. And yeah. and she wa- also like wants to get laid and like she wants to yeah. have a sexual relationship with Bill. Yes. Yeah. And he wants who's, to be married and do the thing fashion. that you're told you're supposed to do. Yeah, exactly. And uh and of course they're very religious, which I'm sure just plays into it even more. I love the scene when uh, you know, they're they're trying to hook up and there's this like Jesus statue that's so big and bright and just like staring at him and it makes him feel so uncomfortable. Oh yeah, yeah. That's so many great when they're coming out of the bathroom and like the old ladies waiting there. Oh my oh yeah, because they're, they're hooking up in the uh in the Mystic Pizza bathroom. Yeah. Yeah. Vincent D'Onofrio, really just incredible and uh, you know, we talked about this on our Stuart Saves His Family episode. You know, that's when I really, you know, started paying attention to him. But, uh, you know, everything I see him in, I always I always love him. I mean, you mentioned Full Metal Jacket before. Oh, Same yeah. year he was in Adventures in Babysitting, which is the year right before this. I, you know, going on and his work in JFK. I love him in Ed Wood. Uh, clearly, Stuart Saves His Family. Uh, and, you know, he's really become... A a huge success with like another generation since he played, um, oh, what's King, the name of his Kingpin. character? Kingpin. Yeah, that's right. And Daredevil. And uh, he was fantastic in that. And I saw him and I was like, yeah, of course, of course, of course. Yeah. It works. And he always, he works so much and still pops up in so many different places. I'm sure I could yeah. go on to his Wikipedia page and and have so many like, oh, yes, yeah, he was in that too. And, you know, Men in Black is another big one for him. Men in Black, yeah, well, it's so funny. He kind of becomes more of a chameleon in that one, but it's still very much him. Uh, what was the, like, procedural that he was on for, like, a really long time? Wasn't it a law and law order, order criminal was, intent? Was, That's what it was. Yes. Yeah. Law yeah. and order criminal intent. Yeah. Uh-huh. So good. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, yeah. Happy that he has been successful because I can imagine also that like starting off you're in full metal jacket and then you're in movies like mystic pizza. It could be really easy to fizzle out, but he really, you know, maintained and is just, a really fine actor. Oh, you know what? I love him in the player. He's great in the player. Which one was he in the player? He's the, he's David Kahane. He's the screenwriter. Oh, David Kahane. Right. Yeah. He's the whole reason the movie happens. Yeah. You know, the inciting. Yeah. Yeah. David Kahane. What a yeah, name. There, there's, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot more. We could, we could go into it, but then like, when do you stop? So Yeah. Yeah, he's well, great. Love Vincent D'Onofrio. Uh, all right, who else? What's yeah, well, next? well, one thing, well, one thing that we didn't talk about yet is the pizza, and uh, oh, why should we? Why should we talk about it when we are brothers with a pizza expert? So, uh, why don't we go ahead to a little one-on-one uh, -on -one I did with our brother Scott of Scott's Pizza Tours and Slice Out Hunger. 
Yes. Hey, Scott, thanks for joining us on Ruined Childhoods. It's been a minute. It has been a minute. I'm glad to be here. It's refreshing. The last time we talked about Pee Wee, talked about Paul Rumens, and uh, what an emotional what an emotional time it's been since then uh, with Paul Rubens, but I'm so glad that we had the opportunity to celebrate him uh, back when we were recording in Austin, Texas in early 2020. You were wow. also on our the last Starfighter episode. I forgot that that happened. You forgot that that happened? Well, I forgot. Yeah, I just forget these things. I remember last Starfighter. I forgot about Pee Wee. Wow. Yeah, I'm sorry. You okay? No, I guess not. <laughs> I forgot about that. Wow. Austin, February 2020. Yeah. As pre-pandemic as, as you can get without being like in the pandemic. Well, I do remember there was some talk of like, wait, should we be Is going this okay? on this whole trip? Yeah. yeah. Well, I was so, fine. It was fine. I'm so excited that we get to talk about Mystic Pizza in a very different way that Dan and I have been talking about it because as many people uh, listening probably know, and Dan and I have definitely talked about it a bunch on the podcast, uh, you are the owner and proprietor of Scott's Pizza Tours and uh, also the nonprofit Slice Out Hunger. And uh, who better to talk to in our Mystic Pizza episode than you? We have a, uh, a pretty open line to you, which is the, a cool thing about, uh, you know, being bros when we're dealing with pizza stuff. So uh, first I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the movie, which I I know that when when you're on tours, movie pizzas in movies probably come up maybe with Ninja Turtles. Are there any other like pizza movies that you get asked about or that kind of uh, come into your life in, in big ways? Definitely, well, being in New York, the number one is Saturday Night Fever. Interesting. Just because that opening scene is yeah. it's just, it's it's such a weird, it's an iconic scene, but it's where he, like, you know, it's where he stacks, Tony stacks two slices right. and eats them. And like, and, and like nobody ever does that. Like, that's not a thing where that people do in New York, but it's like a thing that when people come yeah. to New York, they're like, oh, let me do that. It's classic. And it's like, I think that's only ever happened once. And, and it it's was, so it's so funny because we did an episode on Saturday Night Fever and that didn't come up at all because I think that unless you're unless that's kind of like you're thinking about pizza while watching it. Also that movie if you're if you only watch the beginning of it it's a completely different movie than if you watch the entire thing. <laughs> well, uh, well let's also say like it's not like I do dancing tours, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah, I, my my, I'm in pizza brain most of the time, which means that like that scene comes up in conversation a lot. Okay, are there any other ones? Uh fast times. Okay, yeah, getting the pizza delivered to the classroom, classic. Yeah, well, which like is to me is way more of an iconic, you know, like like pizza as the sign of independence yeah. and youth. Uh, you know, like like a problem with authority. Oh yeah, I, lo I love it. I love that. And, that scene is like, to me, a real pizza scene. And and just kind of talking about like pizza history in the United States, is there a particular decade where things kind of really hit a, a big boom, maybe in uh, the popularity across the country? Well, in the actual popularity of pizza, the first big wave was the 50s. 
Mm-hmm. And basically, 1950 to 1958 is this like gigantic boom of articles being written about pizza, pop songs written about pizza. Mm. That's where it like enters the public consciousness. And then through the 60s, it kind of coasts. And then in the 80s, there's another bump where it really becomes the mass market thing. Oh, okay. And, yeah, and with it, things sort like of a, Pizza Hut becoming more popular, Domino's. So yeah. those movies that were that were in the the later 70s, Fast Times and Saturday Night Fever, maybe that's kind of like it's picking up in popularity again leading into the 80s. Yeah, definitely. And, and, and also you just, get the Ninja Turtles in the, in the early 90s. Well, when you have a New York movie then mm-hmm. that, that takes place anytime starting in like 1970, then pizza kind of always factors in at some point. Yeah. You know what I mean? Home Alone 2. Oh, big pizza. Just for yeah. me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, and that's, of course, that's like playing off Home Alone 1, obviously. But it's in New York, a big pizza. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a whole thing. That's definitely an iconic pizza moment. Being in a limo by yourself as a kid with a giant pizza just for yourself. Well, yeah, Home Alone 2, but also Home Alone 1, there's a, a major pizza scene at the beginning when all he wants is the plain slice, but Buzz makes a big scene out of uh, <laughs> Buzz. <laughs> out of eating that last slice that crams it into his mouth. I, but I love that. That scene is so great because it's really the chaos of the whole family, and it's like, oh, yeah. let's just order a pizza. Well, how do you it's feed like, that many people? Well, it's... Yeah, bef- it's, the night before a major flight, you're not cooking. It's so honest. It's just such a pure scene. Yeah. Do you get asked about Mystic Pizza a lot on the on your tours? It comes up a lot because uh-huh. people wear a Mystic Pizza shirt all the time. Really? Or yeah. Oh yeah. It's like a great it's shirt. Like, it's a great the shirt. Slogan is you know a slice of heaven, and that's yeah. like you know. So it comes up all the time, and then we 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 don't often talk about the quality of the pizza. We just talk. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's just kind of like oh yeah, it went there. All right, cool. With this sort so, of like a knowing glance of that it's not <laughs> it's not destination pizza, but it's right. exciting to go there because of the movie. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And that so we're we're talking about Mystic Pizza because we're doing a, a series of podcast episodes covering each state in the United States plus DC and Puerto Rico, and we are going alphabetically. So we're in Connecticut. And this is our Connecticut movie because it really feels, unless you're doing a movie that takes place at like Yale or something like this, feel or like some sort of prep school in Connecticut, this feels very authentic Connecticut. It, it's a, you know, a, a seaside fishing town and uh, you're getting a lot of that like authentic Connecticut vibe. You know, it's filmed in the area where it takes place. And the idea for the movie came about because the writer was in that area and saw this mystic pizza place and that's how in you know was just like oh my god now i've got all these ideas i'm gonna make a movie about it and uh, well first of all you've had the pizza correct i have had the pizza yeah so not to say that the pizza at this pizza place is supposed to be the pizza that's at the place in the movie but what was it like from from your best recollection the pizza, like ignoring the, the comparison to the movie, the pizza is kind of to be expected from a Connecticut pizza. And when I say a Connecticut pizza, I'm I'm disregarding Southern Connecticut. Okay. Uh, I mean like I mean like New Haven. I'm, yeah. I'm kind of disregarding that. I'm talking about the rest of the state, which is 
Greek pizza, which is usually pizza baked in a pan. It's a little bit thicker on the crust, mm-hmm. but it's not a Sicilian or a deep dish. It's a, just a little bit tubbier, softer on the base. And I remember having a pretty dry cheese layer, and I'm almost sure that the cheese was on top of the toppings. Well, I could be misremembering oh, really? that. Which would be different yeah. from the movie because in the movie, you can definitely tell in the scene where, you know, the food reviewer is sampling the pie. You see like the mushrooms and peppers on top of the cheese. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's not not to be compared to the movie. It's right. But it's, it's very own- much Greek pizza. It's It's like this Connecticut, New England Greek pizza. So that's what's also very interesting. So you're talking about Greek influence on the pizza there. The movie Mystic Pizza is about a Portuguese community. Uh, Those those seaside fishing communities are largely Portuguese. And the way that it's described by uh, Leona, the woman who owns the pizzeria, she has the special recipe for the sauce using spices and a recipe that was brought over from her family in Portuguese. Are you familiar with any sort of Portuguese influence on pizza or is that completely made up for the movie? I'm definitely uh, aware of Portuguese influence on the South Shore of Boston. So oh, we're, really? also, we're talking New England, like not, yeah. not far off from where we're talking about in Mystic, Connecticut. And on the South Shore of Boston, you have several bars that offer pizza and it's 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 like New England bar style pizza is what they call it. Mm-hmm. And they're small 10 inch pizzas, usually a little bit thicker. And very often they have Portuguese sausage, linguiça. Oh, so and, for that, it's really the sausage that's bringing the influence over. Yeah, it's and it, yeah, it's sausage. There's some other toppings that I remember sticking out that were a little bit uh, in that vein. But the linguiça is the main one. Interesting. Yeah, and also because this movie is really about this fishing community, what's also interesting about the Mystic Pizza is that it it doesn't specify if maybe there is any any sort of seafood, maybe crab or lobster seems to be the the popular thing that's going on over there. They do offer scallops or scallops. Uh, I noticed that on the menu. Uh, so I don't know if there's any other influence that's coming in, but so the linguisa is the type of sausage. Linguisa is a Portuguese sausage, and it's it's really a rich, fatty sausage, and uh, it's great on the pizza. I actually really love that. On the South Shore of Boston, I remember having a bunch of pies that had that. And then they have, like, p- pizzas with beans on them. Really? Yeah, it's Ooh. funky. It gets funky. So because this is an episode that we're talking about Connecticut— you know, you mentioned Southern Connecticut, the New Haven style. A lot of people rave about the New Haven pizza. Is that its own different type, different different style of pizza that you find in the rest of Connecticut? Yeah, New New Haven, the pizza that centers around New Haven is totally different from what's north of it because mm-hmm. the New Haven pizzeria is all opened in the by the twenties and the thirties, at least the ones okay. that are still open today. The oldest ones opened in the nineteen teens. But mm. Frank Peppy's opened in 25, Sally's opened in 38, Modern opened around the same time. I think it was also 38. And then there's a place called Zuparty's that's been a bakery since the 30s, then became a pizzeria a little bit later. But totally awesome, old school, thinner, denser, crunchier, different from New York style because l- crunchier, less foldable, and not sold by the slice. Oh, okay. So that's its own, it's its own universe. And 
is there any reason why the the pizzerias that open there why they have this one style is it coming from a different region yeah exactly they're mostly from amalfi oh okay so most of the people who ended up in new haven who came in from italy were from amalfi which is just west of new haven and that means that they're getting pizza that's from the source naples italy and the rest of new england at least the places that are doing that greek pizza they're getting greek immigrants that are coming over in the 50s and 60s who are making pizza as a way of adapting adapting a business model uh, to you know to to the local area so at that okay. time when pizza wasn't there was no definition of what pizza should be anywhere it's pretty easy for for a style to change from region to region nowadays you can go anywhere and open up any style of pizzeria but back then it was like oh you go to new haven and you get this thin dense crunchy thing but you go to mystic and it's different so because new haven pizza is known to be kind of a, a special thing people go f specifically for this pizza is there a reason why it hasn't spread really outside of the new haven region it has. Oh. There are about 20, at least 25 pizzerias outside of New Haven that either claim to make that style or they use terminology of the style or they reference the pizza from that area. New Haven is known for that thin, dense, crunchy things. So there's a place called Pete's Abits in Washington, D.C. Then there's A Pizza Shoals, which mm -hmm. that word, A Pizza, is a reference to the New Haven thing, even though their pizza okay. is not. And then there's Peace and, you, and you're talking about Chicago. A, and you're talking about a pizza shoals out here in Portland. In Portland, yeah, it's not go. New Haven style, but they're referencing New Haven. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, so I'm saying that like there are New Haven style places, and there are references to that, even though in New Haven is such a well known pizza town to me, mm -hmm. and and they get ranked in all these lists. Pepe's is like number one all the time. Still, they fly under the radar. Got it. Okay. So yeah, like normal people don't always think of New Haven as being a famous pizza town. Right. Well, I, I don't know. I I hear and, and I don't know if it's just because of you and people like, you know, thinking that, oh, I'm your brother. So obviously I have as much of an interest in pizza as you do. And don't get me wrong. Love pizza. I ordered one the other day from my favorite in Portland, Scotty's Pizza. And I. Uh, been kind of rocking on that for the past few days <laughs> and i uh, but so i i definitely appreciate when uh, uh people you know approach me about pizza and i you know a lot of people do say that you know new haven there's like oh have you had the new haven pizza like it's a it's a whole thing so oh, yeah if you care about food and about pizza then you know about it but the if you don't it's not even in your brain yeah so what I wanted to know, because I, I know that you did watch the scene uh, with the the reviewer, the uh, the guy, the the snooty guy who re who reviews the pizza, and and I don't know if you watched the scene also where he's actually eating the pizza. I know you've seen the movie years ago. How would you review the reviewer? So, I I have to first I have to put myself in his place. Because that yeah. was what, 87, 88, something like 88. that? 88. 88. Yeah. So I got to think about 1988 because reviewing his review now is, I think, different from then. 
uh-huh because well our- and he also does preface his review by saying i'm not really a pizza guy yeah but i think i take that more as like he kind of comes off as snooty so pizza is too lowbrow and i think that's like that's kind of the whole right. j- maybe not joke but that's like the whole point of that scene is like yeah that he ends up spoiler alert but that he ends up really loving it after Wait. you know he's so yeah, this so, is uh, so Hector Frechette. Hector Frechette, the fireside gourmet. Fireside gourmet. We. <laughs> uh, I will say this: his, as not a pizza fan, I think the review is totally fine. But I do think a food reviewer should have a better food vocabulary. Mm-hmm. I was kind of shocked by how few words he could pick from to describe. He said, Oh, this sauce has some spices that I can't yeah. put my finger on. And like, uh, you know, it's kind of like, well, I mean, you, you probably know some spices and you could probably detect some of them. You can't name one. You can't yeah. use any term, any food terms <laughs> here. So I was a little bit, I, I don't care so much about, about the pizza angle of the review because I don't expect somebody in 1988 to look at, uh, the profile and uh, analyze the crumb structure or yeah. spotting or the underside or like or, uh, analyze the gum line or t- whatever, all that kind of stuff, cheese breakage. But I do expect some words that show me that you have analyzed food before. Yeah. Well, something that I also noticed in the movie, and uh, I, I don't know if it's just because I'm feeling nitpicky about the representation of the pizza. So when... Hector Frechette eats his pizza. He gets a very long, you call it cheese pull? Is that what it what it is? When you know you see yeah. the big stringy casiny strings of cheese. Very uh, important. So when, so when he's eating it, it's this huge cheese pull as he pulls it away from his mouth. But in in another scene where Annabeth Gish's character is, you know, with Tim, the guy she's uh, babysitting for and having this relationship with. She brings a pizza for them to eat and she takes a bite, zero cheese pull. There's yeah. nothing yeah. to it. And I'm sure that it's, you know, for the scene, the the point isn't to be looking at how the pizza is. The point is just like they're having a pizza. <laughs> you know, there's the, it's not about the quality of the pizza, whereas the Hector Frechette taking that big stringy piece of uh, cheese bite, uh, it's going to, it has to look different. I'm going to go ahead and defend the film. I think that they got it right when they didn't give cheese pull because that pizza had been in a box and cooled off. And that's, you will not get cheese pull after the cheese has cooled off. You mentioned the word box. I want to know if the, how much pizza box technology has changed from 1988 to maybe be more forgiving of, you know, uh, you know, moisture and, uh, to, to maybe create a better experience for at-home cheese pullability? Almost not at all. No change. No change. I mean, I mean, people have made better boxes, yeah. but they're, they're not in wide circulation. And, and for anybody listening who doesn't know, Scott is a pizza box expert, uh, Guinness World Record holder of largest collection of pizza boxes. So uh, it's not yeah, like so it's- <laughs> anybody it's really funny i literally wrote the book on pizza boxes yeah i was on a tour yesterday and somebody asked something or they made some comment about pizza boxes and i had a a response and they were like oh people have obviously asked you about that before you had a real response and i was like well i 
I kind of collect pizza boxes. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of a real serious thing. Um, anyway, the, I, the pizza would have cooled off. It wouldn't have had cheese pull. The cheese pull would happen when the pizza is hot. And I th- also think that's very 1988 to have the mm. whole, you know, you remember TV commercials for Pizza Hut and all that. In oh, yeah. And it was all about cheese pull. Oh, yeah. So I think that I think the movie nailed it. Well, it's also kind of like when you're watching the Ninja Turtles cartoon and you see the like super cheesy pizza and also, yeah, uh, Pizza Hut at the time with the cheese and the crust innovating that. Uh, is Pizza Hut the one that innovated that movement? The cheese they and the did. crust? They did, the stuffed crust, okay. yeah. Yeah, so you know, the whole idea was like, how much cheese can you possibly get in this thing? And, uh, you know, it's a Wasn't lot, a lot of it. CrossFit, well, we put cheese in places you never dreamed of. <laughs> Well, speaking of David Cross, and this is kind of what I wanted to uh, wrap up on a little bit. Hector Frechette's review of the pizza reminded me of the Mr. Show sketch, The Altered States of Drugachusetts, where they order a pizza and the <gasps> mayor of Drugachusetts finishes it off by going, I hereby declare this pizza to be awesome. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's essentially Hector Frechette's review of the Mystic Pizza. Yeah, I, I, his review is just really funny. He's like, I, it had s- several flavors and textures, <laughs> and it was food. And when I chewed, I digested it shortly after, and it was delicious. Like, and he's like, no, like he said all these things that made it sound they were like derogatory. And then at the end, he's like, yet I still found it to be most excellent. Right, dudes. And he like, like twirls his mustache. Yeah, yeah, mustache. <laughs> I mean, it's I, I find I found that scene to be flawless. No issue with it. If if he were judging that pizza today, then they, he would be held to higher standards. But it was 1988. Oh yeah, things well, uh, and and I'll ask you if you were to be reviewing a pizza like that, what would you be looking out for? So I, you know, I like I judge pizza all the time at competitions. Mm-hmm. So. I, and I'm currently rewriting or trying to propose a rewriting of how the judges look at pizza. Ooh. Yeah. A lot going on in the pizza world. And, and I, what I do is I look for objective flaws, mm. meaning signs of under or over fermentation of the dough. So maybe okay. it's pale. If it's pale, it means that not enough free sugar is available for yeast to convert and to brown. Or all that sugar is gone, which means that it doesn't brown, so you get pale crust. I would look for gumminess in the interior of the dough, meaning that it didn't cook thoroughly. I would look for an uneven bake or burn marks, skid marks, where you drag the pizza against a hot spot on the floor of the oven. Um, Excessive use of flour, which would burn and also taste bitter on the tongue. Look for things like an open crumb structure or a closed crumb structure, which will tell you a little bit about how the dough was handled. And then, of course, cheese to sauce ratio, very important. Mm-hmm. And then you, you look for things like um, like balance of flavor when you take a yeah. bite. But a lot of those other, a lot of the other things are, are visual. You can look at a pizza and tell a lot about technical flaws. So I'm, tr- I'm trying to introduce a training manual and certification course that will teach judges what flaws to look for so that it's less about subjectivity and like, oh, I love onions on pizza. Great score. Yeah. Right, or like I hate onions on pizza, or like strawberries shouldn't be on pizza, and more about objective data points. Yeah, cool. Well, that's exciting. So everyone should look out for that when you're at your next pizza competition. Yeah, the the two dozen of you who yeah. know what I'm talking about. 
<laughs> yeah. Well, uh, for everyone listening, definitely check out scottspizzatours.com. If you're in New York, take a tour. Uh, sliceouthunger.org is your website for your nonprofit. And by the time this comes out, you will have just done your latest pizza on the pier. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Pizza on the pier. Cool. Well, I Big can't ask reason. you how that went because it hasn't gone yet. But it was awesome uh, <laughs> and it didn't rain. I'm sure it's going to go great. And uh, yeah, how many how many of those have you done so far? This is the third one. So Slice Out Hunger usually does an annual event. And then with COVID, that event changed from being an indoor thing that was like a thousand people to oh, an so outdoor this is the, thing. This is the kind of replacement for kind of the dollar slice, slice yeah. event. We want to bring back that dollar slice event, but yeah. until we do, this outdoor thing is great. We, we, we just there's a bunch of connections that have led to us to get the supplies to do the event pretty cheap. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately this year it's not cheap, right. but yeah, whatever. no. Well, uh, I'm going to put links to all your stuff in the uh, description for this episode. Um, but Scott, if there's anything you wanted to shout out before we wrap it up, here's your chance. No, just, uh, you know, go out and eat some pizza, order some pizza and give your own review in the style of the fireside gourmet. <gasps> Yeah, put it on Hashtag. social media, tag us. Yeah, do it. it <laughs> cool. Seriously, it'd be awesome. But you have to order the same pizza. But it's just a supreme pizza. It's just the mystic pizza. They don't say what. Yeah, but like, it just has everything on it. It has all I could identify were mushrooms. But I saw, you know, in the preparation when Leona's making the pizzas, you see her with like green peppers and stuff like that. So whatever it I mean, is, it's a, it's a movie. It's all made up. A true pleasure to talk about pizza. This is this is the big crossover. When you and Dan talk about movies, I kind of blank out. I like I just black out and pass out. And then and then you revive me like when you mention a pizza scene, and I'm like, yes. So I'm so glad that we got a chance to hear from Scott because I he who could speak better about the subject than him. Um, I love what he had to say about pizza boxes and the difference between, you know, when you see Hector Frechette pulling that big, long, cheesy slice, oh, but then yes. when you see it and take out, it's just like a chomp. There's no cheese coming off of it. So, uh, you know, according to Scott, that's all authentic. That's how it would have been. He really stood up and yeah. defended this movie and, uh, and its portrayal of pizza, but yeah. It's authenticity is, has, has stood up under scrutiny. <laughs> yeah and i don't know dan have you ever been to mystic pizza i i'm assuming you I haven't have because you didn't mention it earlier yeah neither have no I. no you 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 opened the door wide for that and uh yeah no i have yeah. not been to mystic pizza yeah and so this movie came about because i uh, you know the um the the writer of the movie uh amy holden jones had been traveling through uh, Connecticut and was just in Mystic and saw this place called Mystic Pizza. And just the the wheel started to turn. And uh, I'm so grateful for this, you know, happenstance that, that brought yeah. her to this corner of Connecticut because um, it's just such a lovely movie that is... It it ha it gives you every single emotion. It's funny. It's heartbreaking. Uh, you see just some incredible performances. Uh, I also want to give a, a big shout out to Donald Petrie who directed mm -hmm. it, 
And, yes. um, you know, this was his, I think, first film. It was. Uh, went on to do Opportunity Knocks, Grumpy Old Men, Richie Rich, My Favorite Martian, My, Mar- blah, 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 My Favorite Martian, Miss Congeniality, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. So it really, like, took off into the whole rom-com sphere, which, you know, this is It did not pretty well with rom- it. It did pretty well with it. This is not a rom-com. I'd say this is a rom-dramedy. Ah. Yeah, I, I would. I, yeah. yeah, no, I, I don't think it's not. It, it's not romantic. It's not romantic. It's yeah. No, no, no. Coming it's, of age. Yes. Yes. It is very much a yeah. coming of age. Rite de passage story. It's, dare I say, a slice of life. Oh, wow. That I'm not going to get any too, booze for that. Oh, uh, no, that would just be way too cheesy. Oh, boy. Yeah, sorry. Well, I'm, it's been a long week. I'm feeling a bit crusty. Oh this episode's going to get I panned. Hate, I, I hate doing this podcast sometimes. <laughs> oh, wow. Jeez, that was a deep dish. <sighs> I oh. Pepperoni. Like, I don't know. We don't have know. like we have like 47 states to go. <laughs> <laughs> I, can't, I can't quit. So, Dan, <laughs> what would you do given the opportunity to bring this movie back these days? Okay, well, first of all, let me point out that it has been adapted into a musical, which I think is right. the obvious. That's the it's the obvious choice, and clearly it's the not obvious for me. But I appreciate right. that they did it, and it's it I, is a jukebox musical, which you've pitched for other things before. Yes, it is a jukebox musical featuring like the female-led hits of of the 80s like uh, like Cindy Lauper but also like yeah. Go-Go's and Joan Jett and the Blackhearts I think. So and didn't Melissa Etheridge write music for it? Yes. Like specifically? Yes, indeed. yes yeah. Melissa come to my window Etheridge and yes. So okay, that's been done. Here's what I'm thinking. So I'm seeing a series and it follows how Daisy, Jojo and Cat now own Mystic Pizza. Okay. Leona could be retired. There's no reason she, like she, she doesn't need to be dead. She's there. Uh she's given them the secret to the sauce <laughs> and they are holding that secret and they are also potentially perhaps played by uh actresses of Portuguese descent. Uh ideally. So yes, uh but I like keeping definitely keeping the idea keeping that aspect of it because that's not a culture that we get to see a lot of in yeah. film and television. So, and I don't know, John, have you ever partied with the Portuguese? Not to my knowledge, like explicitly. John, I have, I have, I have partied with Portuguese people okay. and Portuguese people know how to party. Okay. Which like the wedding scene, I saw that and I all right. So specifically, I will mention, I will reference Paul Goncalves. A shout okay. out to Paul Goncalves, uh, who I remember going to his Eagle Scout dinner, and this was being held at his very Portuguese church in Elizabeth, New Jersey. And afterwards going to the reception where we were all served pitchers of wine. Oh, wow. And drank and just dance. And like, there was no option to not dance. And like, you wanted to dance. And 
it was so much fun. And I'm pretty sure because I have a few other friends who are Portuguese and I've been to various weddings and other events, always a good time. Like this, the idea of celebration Okay. And all that. And I mean, it's, this is not exclusive to the Portuguese culture, but we don't often see that and we don't get that a lot in our in our pop culture. So I'm all about keeping that, keeping the idea of Mystic Pizza, mm -hmm. moving the time, moving the time forward and not all the way forward. Here's why. So, OK, so what have what has happened to our characters so Kat has gone to Yale, maybe for astron astronomy. Perhaps Kat decides to go into a business administration. Okay. Maybe Kat goes back for her MBA. Maybe this is taking place several years later. She's already gotten her degree in astronomy and now decides, well, she can invest in, perhaps she has published and perhaps she is a, a professor at Yale. Yeah. It's possible. And she has found a way to kind of give back to her, her community. As we talked about, there is that idea, that sense of getting out and growing beyond what your parents had. And as you also said, they are first generation Americans. So having that sense of owning a business, owning that small business, but something that's traditional and something that ties back to, and we don't often think of pizzerias as being Portuguese. At least I don't. I can't speak for everybody. John, do you often, when you think of, of a pizzeria chain, do you think of it being owned by Portuguese? A, a do you think of Portuguese pizza? Yeah. Uh, or just a pizzeria. No, no. And no, no, I don't. But so the idea of like giving us that that bit of a twist and 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 having that. So we've got so Kat's given back to the to the community. Jojo talks about this in the movie, talks about owning the pizza place right. and taking over for Leona, which is a which is a great moment because she talks about how she could do that without Bill. And it's one of those very a atypical for the 80s moments, yeah. uh, although actually, sorry, atypical of the earlier 80s. I forget 1988 is when we also have films like Working Girl sure. coming out and we do have we do see more independent women on screen. So and you've got Daisy, you've got Daisy and maybe there's a maybe she had a relationship with Charles who maybe there in this version there never was a Charles I think it would be interesting to kind of keep that in there maybe maybe they're still together maybe they're not who knows but I like the idea of the three of them owning Mystic Pizza and having this business that is has gone from being a profitable business that they could live off of to after they get this big review and of course it we're setting it more current and i'm thinking like 2019 and you've got more of like foodies giving it attention yeah. and it's getting all this you know many it's getting tagged on on instagram so much uh, Scott goes there, uh, sure. you know, things like things like that, that could have happened in, in 2019. And all of a sudden they've got this really big wave of success 
and they're they're doing it and they're doing it on their terms. Now, here's where I'm getting a little questionable, but I'm going to go out on a limb here and involve this with the plot because of what it shows and because of how it would really show what do you do when you're when you own a small business, you own a local business, you're kind of already working against the odds in some ways and pandemic hits. Oh, mm -hmm. and your business is, and this is not because I really don't like, like, you know, Oh, blah, blah, blah. Let's be gimmicky pandemic. I, I feel like there's, there's enough time where we can look at that and say like, okay, yeah, this, like it really did hurt small businesses and it was really hard if you agreed ethically with shutdowns and you knew they were the right thing to do, but you knew how they were going to kill your business. Like, yeah. what does that do? And we also saw how so many business, especially restaurants modified and pivoted to adjust to the, the requirements of the pandemic. So I think it would be really interesting to uh, to see that. And of course, it would be a series. So I expect that, of course, it would have a life perhaps before. You don't need to start it in March 2020. Yeah. You could lead lead up to that, show them having you know, the struggles and the successes that uh, the uh, pizza pizzeria owners would have. Yeah. But, and also, but of course also their personal lives. I'm not saying this is like some groundbreaking series. This is honestly, it's, it's kind of formula, but I think it, it would really work. And it, I think it could be interesting and cooling. And, and just like this movie did, you could really spotlight new talent with, uh, with this, this series and you could definitely yeah. call back to the movie, but I don't think there are necessarily enough iconic moments in the movie that audience are going to be like, oh, I want to see how they do that. It, I think you could really make this work and you could really make it stand on its own in a way where you don't have to have seen the movie. Yeah. If you saw the movie, you're going to get on a deeper level, but it helps. It is that, still something that could be of interest. Yeah, it helps that the movie is called Mystic Pizza and not like you know, questionable dating a slice decisions. Of heaven? No, like it has, oh, I mean, yeah, even no. if, even if it was called a slice of heaven, that could translate into a series about pizza, oh. but like, it's not, it's not called something that has to do with like really what the movie's about. Right. It's no, the connective tissue think, of what, you know, they're, how they congregate and, you know, the, the kind of place where they all kind of live their lives. Where everybody knows your name. Uh, it, the whole story of of being inspired by a place to just create something like this just makes me think of Cheers. Well, also so the the actual Mystic Pizza place it was called like Ted's Pizza, but then there was then the guy who owned it, Ted, was not just, Ted Danson's. No, not Ted Danson, but the guy who owned it, Ted or whatever, was just like, ah, what even is that? Let's just call it Mystic Pizza because we're in Mystic and. Had he not done that, we would not have had this movie. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. yeah. So, um, well, you know, going to your point about a, you know, having to adjust to COVID types of things. I mean, pizzerias, I think, did a lot better than places that were, you know, 
uh, harder to translate into a to-go experience. And luckily they had that cute little van to do delivery. And perhaps they would also right. have opportunities to do uh, outdoor experiences. Weather permitted. This is true. This is true. Though I do well, I you know March twenty twenty, and I I will also say I think that the the impact of being well reviewed and becoming like a destination yeah. place like TripAdvisor highly rated, and they get all that walk in business people coming people who wouldn't be ordering delivery because they're out of range, but people who would maybe say like Hey, we're gonna drive an hour and go to Mystic Pizza. Yeah, or it's like let's get an Airbnb over in Mystic and get order to go because it you know it's not necessarily well, about yeah. the ambiance of the restaurant. Certainly, Hector Frechette had a not so savory experience when he his glass of water had dentures in it. So it's not like he no. even mentions <laughs> once uh, the ex- the the full experience of going there. He just talks about the pizza. Which I, I wondered if that was an intentional reference to Clockwork Orange or just a kind of like that. I don't think it was at deal. all. You know, it they set it up at the beginning. There's really no connection. No, I they set it up at the beginning where there is a regular who goes there who regularly forgets that he's put his dentures inside his glass of water. And it pays off when Hector Frischette goes there and it happens to be sitting on his table. So there you go. Well, yeah. that's, that's an interesting idea. Hey, you know, why not, you know, make it, oh, you know what I was thinking? You could like kind of infuse it with some of the vibe of his like big night. Okay. Yeah. Like just that. Oh, that was that. Uh, that was what I was thinking at one point where I was like, oh, what if you showed like Mystic Pizza when it first opened and you did a show about it, but it was like in the fifties or something. Mm. And uh, I was I was like, oh, yeah, it would be like Big Night because you got it. Even the movie has that classic scene where someone comes through those swinging doors. Yeah. They've got a pie on, on each hand and they've got to they've got to turn to their side because someone else is coming in the yeah. other way with a couple of pictures or something. Yeah. So I love that they have that scene. It just feels like necessary. Sure. It feels authentic. Uh, so speaking of necessary, John, like what would your idea be for the absolutely necessary okay. resurrection of Mystic Pizza? Here's my fake answer. Okay. Cat <laughs> yes. Cat becomes an an astronomer and finds out that an asteroid is hurtling to Earth and maybe Mystic is the, you know, the center point of impact or something like that. Uh we have Jojo who is now the you know, the owner of Mystic Pizza, the keeper of the recipe of the sauce who has kept it a well-guarded secret. And Cat uh, is in a battle with Jojo to write down the recipe for them to put inside of a essentially like a time capsule kind of a thing so that when human life comes back, the recipe is still intact. That's my fake. That's my fake one. My real one. Although, how much fun would that be? A sequel? Either. Or I wonder if they if they could take it with them like to the space station where no the, they're all screwed anyone who can get off the planet they're all screwed they're all screwed, yeah, they're all oh, screwed. okay there's no I'm like Mystic Pizza in space yeah. awesome there's but there, no yeah they're all screwed just yeah there's no deep impact it's gonna be like, like arc system 
It's going to be like the Taco Bell of Demolition Man. Yeah. It will be the only food. It won the, the fast food wars, the food wars. So uh, yes. my real idea is also a series, but uh, in this one, I would, I would love it if this would, you know, center around the restaurant Mystic Pizza during a, you know, a, a summer. Each season is a different summer. You have a different set of you know, teens working there under the supervision uh-huh. of Jojo. And uh, because I feel like Lily Taylor, would, it would be great to have Lily Taylor be in there to uh, kind of shepherd these seasons along. And it's the experiences, it's the lives of these, you know, three, maybe, let's just say three, uh, you know, teens, kids who are either in high school, fresh out of high school, uh, who are trying to figure out their lives in this, you know, fishing uh, community in, uh, I think it's southeastern Connecticut. So that's it. I, oh, I like it. That sounds like fun. Yeah. I like the idea of like the different summers. How many, like, would you do a, a like a Fargo thing where you really jump around in, in years? No, I don't think so. Or would you kind of just go like, all right, like this, this summer, this is what's happening. It's the kind of place where it's the kind of place where it's like the summer is their busy season. That's when the most people are coming through. And uh, that's when they need to like beef up the staff with these high school kids. Or maybe, maybe it's just, you know, before they're going off to whether it's college or moving someplace or studying or not studying, but just like spending time abroad, something like that. No, that's a really, that that's a fun idea. Yeah. It could be any number of things. It could even be somebody who's much older and is working there, you know, getting a job there for one reason or another. So, yeah. No, no, I, yeah, no, no. You have a lot of opportunities with that, with that structure, just the general, the thing about a workplace set show, especially a restaurant set show is you have so many built in dynamics and you, there are so many possibilities that are, that are believable. And the restaurant is just the home base. You know, what happens throughout the season can take place in any number of locations at the country club, perhaps, you know, maybe they're, you know, spending more time in the residential areas. The restaurant is, is the base, but each episode you get different toppings. My God. On that note, we got, we got to get out of this episode. We're never doing a pizza episode ever again. Is there no, no other, uh, no, I don't know, but uh, it's making me furious right now. So, Dan, why don't you tell everyone what we're going to do on our next episode of our uh, Ruined Childhoods road trip? Oh, right. Yes. Much like Wayne and Garth, we are going to Delaware. Hi, I'm yes, in Delaware. We're going to be in De- we are going to be in Delaware. Delaware, you said it. And uh, you're not and allowed to make that joke on the next episode. You wasted it. You used it. Where, where specifically where our Dell will be is Empire Records, which Damn is set somewhere in Delaware. I somewhere cannot Delaware. think of where possible, where, where it doesn't be, matter, but we've got, it doesn't matter because we've got Anthony LaPaglia and we've got, we have a stacked uh, cast. Ethan, we don't have to mention Ethan all of them right Rene here. Zellweger, 
Liv Tyler. It's going to be Rex Manning Day. We've got the Jim Blossoms on the soundtrack. A stacked cast, a stacked soundtrack. Uh, a, a a significantly uh, prescient movie for people of a very particular generation. Like Empire me, Earth. my generation. That is pretty much it. <laughs> well, That's it. it <laughs> like my... I feel like it's my it's it's where it's where kind of you know millennials but it's it's a Gen X movie but that appeals to millennials and I'd say it's catching on with other generations. The reality bites for non Gen X for non Gen Xers. We'll talk about it way more on the next episode. Of course we will. Well, Dan, as uh you are in your Fish stank Porsche, I wish you a good journey. Good journey.